Greg Rubel of Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We want to thank you for your interest in God's Word and this message. We pray that God puts it into your heart. Take your Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 7. Well, we're starting a, another chapter uh, today, and uh, things are going to get a bit different in, in the book. This is the point in the book, halfway through, where we go from reading uh, a narrative to reading some apocalyptic prophecy. You know, so we've been going through, we've been hearing about Daniel in the lion's den, we've been hearing about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, and we're, we're tracking, you know, all's good, all is good. Then we get to Daniel chapter 7 and things get really descriptive with a lot of dreams and visions that Daniel's had of past events, uh, preview for him of future events. Um, So a lot of what we're going to read about in in Daniel, some of it's happened, some of it has not happened yet. And so it's going to be kind of fun. Now, this is, I think, the point where as the reading gets difficult in the book that people sort of give up on it and and they close Daniel. Um, so we're getting into some unfamiliar territory as far as the book goes. But, you know, I believe that, um, you know, it's all God's word and it's all useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking and training in righteousness. And so you can pray for me as I'm studying some of this stuff and uh, appreciate that, that that the rest of Daniel would accomplish the purpose it has been given to us for to to change us and to prepare us. Now, all of that is just a little preparation for us as we dive into the rest of it. Um, have, you, have you ever thought about how much preparation we do in our lives? And we, you know, we prepare for the day ahead, right? We prepare to cook a meal. We prepare to go on vacation. We prepare to take a test, hopefully. We prepare to go to Turkey Run. You know, there's all kinds of preparations to make. Well, in Daniel chapter 7, it's going to give us this view of history that goes from Daniel's time to the end of time. And so in there, it's going to lead us to some preparations that we can make to live God strong as it all come, as it all gets started. So let's pray and ask the Lord for his grace. And G- Lord, we, we thank you for um, your word today, this, uh, this great book that we're getting to soak our hearts in over the summer and um, boy, we just thank you, Lord, for the way it has encouraged us and challenged us and caused us to want to live God strong for you in this world. And our desire is the same, Father. And so we pray as we begin to dive into this apocalyptic literature um, that you would use it, uh, use it to grow our, our hearts, use it to change our minds, use it to encourage us to keep going, take one more step in the God strong life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
All right, so the first preparation that we're going to be able to make from Daniel chapter 7 is to know the characters of this historical drama that we are in right now. So we're going to start with the first eight verses. Um, in the first year of Belshazzar, uh, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped with and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things." Okay, so first thing we should recognize is that Daniel has uh, jumped backwards in time, the book of Daniel. We've jumped backwards in time, gone 18 years uh, into the past from where we were in the last chapter. The f- now we're in the first year of Belshazzar, um, King Belshazzar. So that's when Daniel has this dream. Uh, he's in his bed, he ha- has this vision, and it's some pretty frightening stuff, some pretty exciting stuff that he's seeing. Um, the first thing he records is the stirring of a great sea. Okay, so in apocalyptic literature in the Bible, the sea represents uh, the source of evil and rebellion against God and, and chaos. In fact, in the Near East, in ancient Near East, the sea was like that for everybody. Everybody said, that's the place where monsters live. And so Daniel has a dream of these monsters coming up out of the sea. The beasts all came out, up out of the sea, uh, but they were all different in nature. The first one was like a lion uh, that had eagle's wings and as Daniel's looking at this lion the the wings are plucked off and then he's given two legs to stand up like a man and he's given the mind of a man the second beast was like a bear stronger on one side than the other so he was uh, he was lopsided he had some um, ribs in his mouth three ribs in his mouth and he's ordered to chow down you know just devour flesh and then you got the fourth beast which was so terrifying Daniel couldn't think of an animal to liken it to uh, an earthly animal. And so he says, it's stronger than the rest. It's got these iron teeth and it is just destroying, obliterating whatever is in its past, in its path. So these are the first four characters that we want to get to know. Know these characters in this historical drama. Now, Daniel's vision is a parallel vision to what King Nebuchadnezzar got back in Daniel chapter 2. If you remember that vision, King Nebuchadnezzar saw a huge statue and it was made up of different metals, you know, the head of gold, the chest of silver, um, the legs of bronze, and the feet of iron and clay mixed in, the, in there with it, uh, ten toes. And so we're getting this parallel vision uh, that King Nebuchadnezzar got. But King Nebuchadnezzar, he saw this glorious image. 
you know, this, this great huge thing that was beautiful. Um, and that's kind of how man looks at, at the kingdoms of the world. Daniel's vision is from God's perspective. You know, what God sees when he looks at the kingdoms of the world. And it's, it's kind of easy to see, if you look at our his, your history books, kind of easy to see who is who in uh, these four beasts. Um, the lion, the lion-like beast uh, with, with wings, was King Nebuchadnezzar. And when the, the wings were plucked off, that was when he lost his mind. He was sent out to pasture in the field. He lived like an animal, ate like an animal, until he learned that God was God. And then he was given two legs. He gave his kingdom back. So two legs came, and he was given the mind of a man, went back into his, into his position. So that first beast we can see is King Nebuchadnezzar, the uh, kingdom of Babylon. The, the bear is uh, the kings of the Medes and the Persians, the one who took down Nebuchadnezzar. So he's stronger on one side than the other uh, because the Persians were stronger than the Medes. Now, it's, it's anybody's guess what the ribs represented in his mouth, um, but the, that kingdom, the, the, the Medes and the Persians, they took over three major kingdoms in their 20-year span of ruling. So, you know, it could be those kingdoms. The leopard-like beast with its wings and four heads is the kingdom of Greece. And so its leader is Alexander the Great, known for his speed at taking over the world. And it was just one long extended campaign for Alexander the Great before he ruled everything. And so it was just really fast. That's a leopard with wings. Um, has four heads because once Alexander the Great died, then um, uh, that kingdom was broken up into four regions. And so four others took over and it all happened in similar speed. The last beast is the, is the one that corresponds to Rome. Um, he had uh, iron teeth and it was total annihilation of its enemies. And so, you know, we can see that in Rome's conquests as they took over. Um, now, as you think about these beasts, you don't, don't think about like a Tyrannosaurus Rex that you see in Jurassic Park. Okay, that's a PG-13 version. I mean, we're talking about R-rated version beasts. You know, I, uh, Lord of the Rings, take an org, multiply it times 100,000. You know, this is an evil thing. It's against God. It's coming out of Satan's kingdom. They are evil to the core. I mean, if you get to the last verse in Daniel, just Daniel seeing these beasts turned him pale white and made him paralyzed with fear. And that's after he, get to, you know, he, he got to know who was coming out on top. So these things are super scary. Then you got the ten horns uh, where things get uh, more symbolic than they are already. Um, as as the, uh, these ten horns, they represent the sum total of evil empires from the time of uh, the fourth beast to now. And so you can sort of uh, see the rise and fall of evil empires throughout all of history in these ten horns. Listen to verses 19 and 20. Uh, then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things, and and that seemed greater than its companions. And then the angel answers Daniel's request, and this is what he said in 23 and 24. As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on, on earth, um, which shall be different from all the kingdoms. 
and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall rise, and another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down uh, the shall put down three kings. So those numbers kind of get symbolic there at the end. We go from talking about this fourth beast, a specific kingdom, to a symbolic number, um, sort of representing all the evil empires. And so if you think about those ten horns, you can include in, in there any evil, monstrous, murderous leader in time. Like, you know, you think about Nero. He was the last emperor of Rome, and he was, he was burning Christians as human torches, using them for light at night. Um, you th- think about Stalin, um, said, said to be responsible for killing 20 million people. I think about Hitler, um, you know, killing 6 million Jews in, in, in the Holocaust. So just plug in anybody you know of um, that's that monstrous kind of leader kingdom, and you'd be okay, I think, interpreting the ten horns. In verse 24, the angel moves from the ten kings to... An eleventh king, a little horn that rises up, and he takes out three other kings. And this horn is described as having the eyes of a man and a mouth to speak great things. That was, and that he was stronger than all the others. This is the first biblical mention of the Antichrist, right here. Now we usually hear about him in the New Testament. Um, from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 2 to 4. Listen to this. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them. Even if they claim to have had a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. Don't be fooled by what they say. For that day will not come until there is a great re- rebellion against God. And the man of lawlessness is revealed. The one who brings destruction. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God, claiming that he himself is God. And so that description there sort of fleshes out what we read about in Daniel, this little horn. And so then you go to Revelation 13, you read about a beast that rises up out of the sea and does all these miraculous things. you know, then you start syncing up Daniel 7, 2 Thessalonians 2, and, and Revelation 13. You get the idea. This is, this is the Antichrist. The Antichrist is coming. He is going to be magnificent to the world, and he's going to be a devil to the church. And he will advance the kingdom of Satan. So with all this imagery and description uh, placed on the beasts and the horns, you know, all this focus there, they, they are not the focal point of the chapter and um, there's another kingdom represented here, and that is the kingdom of God. In verses 9 to 12. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed, and it was its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. So Daniel gets a glimpse of um, the courtroom for the Most High God called the Ancient of Days here. Um, the thrones are set up, and he takes his seat. And so he's described as having pure white clothes and pure white hair, um, just symbols of his purity and righteousness and perfect 
perfect holiness. So that's what Daniel is, is seeing. Uh, his throne is a fire and those, those wheels turning on it, you know, are the wheels of justice. And they're, they're, uh, they're turning as he dispenses justice as fire comes out from his throne, uh, to the whole earth. He's surrounded by a myriad of servants, uh, a million if you take the numbers there and do the math and take it literally, but I don't think you need to. Uh, it's a, a million servants, just a huge crowd of, of, of people. I mean, that's a big crowd. If you've ever seen a million people together, it's, it's a lot. You know, but then it goes bigger than that. It goes beyond that, and you get another hundred million if you do the math. So you got the million, then you got a hundred million. Again, just a bigger crowd. All of them worshiping God. All of them, um, you know, praising Him. So God's courtroom is a big place. It's a big place, and court is in session. And the books, the books of our lives are opened in this courtroom, and they're about to be read out loud for everybody to hear. And then Daniel sees this. Little Horn begin to give his defense as he's standing in God's courtroom, but he's struck down, his body destroyed, given over uh, to fire. So with all of his wisdom and strength and magnificence that he's going to see in the world, he's not able to overcome the ancient of, di- in, ancient of days. In fact, he's absolutely no match for him whatsoever. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8 says, Then the man of lawless, lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will kill him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. So it's, Jesus is going to look at this little horn, you know, this incredibly ferocious, magnificent beast, and he's going to exhale and he's going to be gone. That's power. That's, that's our God. So, speaking of Jesus, he enters the chapter here in verses 13 to 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed." And so this is a heavenly glimpse of the second coming of Christ, but it's happening in, in heaven. It's happening in the courtroom. And so that's what Daniel is seeing there. He's, uh, Jesus is presented to his father, and he's given the rule and reign of the kingdom of God, that kingdom that goes on forever and ever, that will never be destroyed, never be overpowered. So those are the characters of this historical drama. How do they help us? How does knowing them Help us live God strong today. Well, a couple ways I was thinking of. First of all, knowing the characters keeps us on the lookout. It keeps us on the lookout. See, many people over the years have, you know, pointed to a particular individual and said, there's the Antichrist. You know, they've said, you know, Hitler, he's the Antichrist or Stalin. Point to somebody and say, you know, there he is. But they've been wrong. Or they've been partially right. You know, the Antichrist could also be this big thing. So, thankfully, uh, the Antichrist is not who we're looking for. We're not looking for the Antichrist. What we want to see is what Daniel saw in his vision, except we want to see it in real time. We want to see the Son of Man returning on the clouds. An unmistakable event. So here's Jesus on his return in Matthew 24, 26 to 31. So if someone tells you, look, the Messiah is out in the desert, don't bother to go and look. Or look, he is hiding here. Don't believe it. For as the lightning flashes in the east and shines to the west, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. 
Just as the gathering of vultures shows there is a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate the, that the end is near. Immediately after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then at last, the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with the mighty blast of a trumpet, and they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. So we got some pretty good description of what it's going to be like when Jesus returns. No one's going to be able to say, hey, Jesus has come back. Because um, everybody will know it when he does. Everybody's going to see it and it's going to be un, unmistakable. So Jesus is the one that we should be on the lookout for um, when he's coming back. And until that day comes, he wants us to stay ready. And he wants us to watch. He wants us to pray. A second takeaway um, from knowing the characters is to keep your head up. Keep your head up. So, some of these kingdoms that we read about here in this vision and we see in the historical drama, uh, we look back and we see they've risen and then they've fallen and they've risen and they've fallen. And actually it's happened exactly like God told Daniel. It's every single one of them has happened. You look over the, the history of the world and you've got every evil empire that's ever existed uh, has risen and then it's fallen, except the ones that are um, in power today. So we know that, that God's vision is accurate. And what he says has happened, happened. And so as we look forward, we can trust that what he says is going to happen is going to happen. And so that's important. It's important to understand that because based on what we know about his kingdom, the ancient days is sitting on his throne and he's in righteous judgment. But sometimes it sure doesn't look like it. It doesn't, it doesn't look like he's in charge. It doesn't look like he's sovereign and in control of everything going on in the world because of the rise of evil. Now, while we wait for, for that day when Jesus comes back, things could get ugly for us. You know, I mean, it could get really difficult. The Bible says that we won't have to suffer God's wrath, but it never promises that we won't suffer Satan's wrath. So we're going to be his targets. And if that comes like we think it's going to come, we might be tempted as we're going through it to lose hope. To drop our head. Our hearts are telling us to keep looking for Jesus, but our bodies, the suffering, all that stuff's weighing down on us. And it's like, I don't know how, God, you're going to turn this thing around. This is, this is going the wrong direction. It's like way, it, it's a lost cause. And so knowing what God has done in this vision tells us we need to keep our head up. Ever heard the name Dave Waddle? He was an Olympic athlete. And he ran a race in the 1972 Olympics, 800-meter final. And I, I'm going to show it to you. And I'm I just going to tell you that uh, he's the one in the hat, and he's going to win. All right? So watch this. How did he do that? I mean, I've watched that a lot of times, and I'm thinking, does he have enough left in the tank to win that race? You know what happens? Every time, he wins. Every time. You know, as you're watching now, I mean, what we've been told in Daniel chapter 7 is God's going to win. He's going to win. And when it looks like his kingdom is falling too far back and the leaders are too far out in front, it may feel like it's not going to happen, but it's going to happen. 
we got to remember that the Ancient of Days is sitting on his throne and that the Son of Man is going to come on the clouds and then he's going to exhale all the enemies away. Amen. Yeah. So we got to keep our head up. Keep watching. Because you know at the finish line, it's not even going to be close. Not even going to be close. Okay. Next God's strong preparation is to understand the conflict. Now, Daniel was given some information that helps us prepare for the suffering that's going to come. Verse 21 says that the Antichrist is going to come against us and do a lot of winning. He says, as I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. That doesn't sound very good. And then in verses 25 and 26, Daniel gets the battle plan from God, how the enemy is going to come after us. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hands for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. So Satan... He cannot defeat the Ancient of Days. He cannot get the Son of Man to go under him, come under his feet. But he can come against his followers. And so as the day of Jesus' return uh, draws near, Satan's going to increase his efforts at attacking and bringing pain and suffering on the church. And he's got this three-pronged attack. And the first is with words. Um, the words against God. He's going to be speaking lies. Remember, he's the father of lies. That's all he can do is lie. Satan never tells the truth. Um, and Satan will call what is good evil and what is evil good. So God will be the monster, not him. God will be holding out on you, not him. He's going to give you the desires of your heart. You know, God will be the one who is not good if he's allowing you to suffer and be attacked by the enemy. God is the one who is legalistic and takes away your freedom. All of those are lies. And they're messages that we hear constantly, all over the place, all day long. We hear them. It's a propaganda campaign designed to weaken our resolve in our faith, in our God's strong life. Now, the only good news about any of this is that the attack is temporary. Daniel says it's for a time, times, and half a time. So it's, it's got an end to it. The second way this attack is going to go on is, is he's going to wear out the saints. He's going to wear us out. So expect suffering as Jesus' return draws near. Expect physical suffering, emotional suffering, and spiritual suffering. And on the increase as Jesus' uh, day draws near. Satan cannot have us. He cannot get us out of God's hand, but he can slow us down. He can try to knock us down. He can try to keep us down. And that's what he'll try to do. He'll wear us out. And then the third prong is he's going to change the prevailing winds of culture and change the laws against the church. So as our faith becomes more and more a minority in, in our world, uh, our hearts becoming weary, our minds becoming um, weak from all the lies that Satan can effectively throw at us, what he does is trying to take us out of the fight. That's what he's trying to do. So knowing this three-pronged attack is coming... There's some specific three, a three-pronged defense that believers can, can live right now in God's strong preparation. First of all, stay in the Word of God. Stay in the Word of God. We want the truth of God's Word to defeat the lies of the enemy. Now, if you think about it, the amount of time that we spend in God's Word is way less 
than the amount of time that we're taking in the propaganda of the enemy. It's way less. Because, you know, it comes at us from all different sources. And if we're going to live God strong, um, we've got to battle the assault of words that are coming against God, these lies. And so that means we've got to weave the Word of God into our lives all day long. I mean, we're not talking about a 5-minute, 10-minute, 20-minute quiet time in the morning, although you should do that. We're talking about the whole day long, being immersed in God's Word. Have it with you all the time. Thank, thank God for phones, right? We can just get an app, Bible Gateway, put it on there. You can get instant access to the Bible, any version you like. I mean, that's awesome. How many times are we pulling it out during the day and reading it? How many times are we studying it, memorizing it, meditating on it? We got to do that. We got to immerse ourselves because the lies are coming at us all the time. Second thing, if we're gonna, as we're being worn out by the enemy's assault, when we're doing that, we're going to find that strength's hard to come by. You know, that it's very difficult to get out and do the work. Maybe even difficult to get in the Bible. And so how do we withstand that part of the attack? Stay in Jesus. And what I mean by that is abide in Him. He said in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. NIV says remain in me. You know, and you know uh, abiding, I mean, uh, abiding is not work. It's rest. We rest in Jesus. We rest in His work. We rest in the security of knowing His love for us. Never ends, can't change, won't go up, down. It's always there. We rest in that. So we wake up with Jesus. We walk through the day with Jesus. And then we end the day with Jesus. Every minute of the day, we practice the presence of God. He's with us. And that's how we abide. We just rest in Him. Remember what He said? He said, anybody who comes to me, He would give rest. He would give rest. And then third, the prevailing winds of culture as they change, as, as the world becomes against us as believers, um, the law making it illegal to worship. What we, what we need to do is we need to stay together. Stay together. Stay with each other. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to, to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more... As you see the day drawing near. So this meeting right here ought to be a priority meeting for you every week. Nothing should come before it. Nothing. Your small group meeting, your worship practice, your serving together. As the day draws near, those times are going to be increasing in importance. Because this is the defense that God has given us to come against the enemy. To be together. To share our faith. To practice the one another's. Sometimes the truth of God comes through the mouth of another believer when we get together here on Sunday morning. Or in our small group. Because we've heard a lie and we've grabbed onto it and we're thinking something about ourselves that's just not true. And somebody who knows us, if we're connected, if we get together, if we're like family... We can talk to one another. We can share with each other. We can be real with each other. You know, I heard something very good. See if I can remember it because I'm just remembering it right now. This should be like the waiting room in a doctor's office. You know, so we're all here and we all know that we're trying, that we're sick, 
you know, and that, that we, we need the physician. That's what this should be like. We all need him. When we go out there, we get isolated. You know, maybe you're at work and you don't have anybody else at work that's a believer. And to shine your light, it seems really hard. Well, come here every week. Shine really bright and just let the afterglow come off at work. That's what this is for. To be together. So it's a preparation for what's coming. Now, I'm going to add one more on here. Um, and and uh, stay away from your calendars. Stay away from your calendar. Daniel said there that um, when, we t- when we look at Daniel's words about the length of this attack, time, times, and half a time, and then we go to Revelation and we read some things about 1,260 days and 42 months, and we start doing the math, we go, oh, this is three and a half years. Three and a half years of war is coming. When's it going to come? And then we start wrestling with those questions. Um, that can keep us from preparing because knowing that isn't going to help us. Knowing that isn't going to help us. And that's really all we've heard in the American church growing up. And it might be spot on. Okay? It might be. But there's another way to look at times, times, time, times, and half a time. And that's not chronologically, but theologically. And seeing it a little bit differently. I mean, instead of pointing to dates on a calendar and trying to figure out what's going to happen, when it's going to happen, all that stuff, um, it, it could be that that is... The time, a representation of time between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. Time, times, and half a time. I'm sort of leaning that way now in my eschatology, my end trying to make sense of end times. Uh, I hope I'm wrong, but, you know, that's where I'm at at the moment. But the point is, we can't get caught up and try to figure all that out because it doesn't help us prepare. It doesn't help us, it's really just a distraction. Knowing it's going to end, knowing it's temporary, that's our source of hope. That's what helps us. So stay away from your calendars. Now listen, don't wait for life to get hard. Don't wait for things to get difficult for the church. Because now is the time to make preparations. Now. Now is the time to make it your lifestyle. To stay in the Word. Stay in Jesus. And to stay together. When you do that, when that's your life, you will withstand what's coming. Alright. Final preparation that we get from Daniel 7, is to join the conquerors. The saints uh, that are getting beat up by the little horn, the Antichrist, they're actually going to come out as the conquerors in the conflict. So listen to how that victory is described in the chapter in verse 18. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, for, forever, forever, and ever. As I looked, uh, verses 21, 22, as I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High and the time came when the, the saints possessed the kingdom. And then in verse 27, and the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Their kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey them. So notice the description of the victory. Notice the verbs. Saints receive the kingdom. Saints possess the kingdom. Saints are given the kingdom. So the conquered become the conquerors, not because they fought, but because they were faithful. They don't take the kingdom by force. They receive the kingdom by faith. God does all the fighting for us. We just join him in the victory parade. 
And we get promoted to places of authority in his new administration. So there's two kinds of joining I was thinking about as reading this and looking at this. Um, To join the conquerors, you have to do it during the time that they're being conquered. You know, so you got to get behind Dave Waddle when he's at the end, you know, he's at the beginning of the race and he's fallen far behind. You got to be a Dave Waddle fan then. You can't jump on the bandwagon when he starts, when he starts winning. You join the conquerors when they're being conquered, when they're falling back in the race, when it looks like all is lost. You sign up, you sign up for the losing side. And that can be hard. And how do you do that? By faith. You join by faith that it's going to be the winning side. Faith in Jesus that when he came the first time, he made a way for us to be with him forever, for us to share in the victory. And that victory comes over self and sin and Satan. And it can only be found in him. He is the soon coming king of the kingdom of God. Is he your king today? Is he your king? He is going to reign forever and ever over a kingdom of life and light. Are you going to be in that kingdom? You know those those books that were opened up in the courtroom of God? Books about our life. There's three books. There's a book of names, a book of deeds, and a book of sorrows. You're going to go into the courtroom and the First book's going to get opened up. It's a book of names called the Lamb's Book of Life. And it has all the names of people who have joined the conquerors by faith in Jesus. Before he comes, he is the Lamb of God. Would your name be be in that book? Would it be in there? Because the book of deeds gets opened up next. The book of deeds is everything we've ever done, good or bad, right or wrong. And in that book, one wrong deed washes away all the good. Because it only takes one wrong deed against a holy God to deserve forever death. So when you open that book, you got these deeds in there about your whole life. It's going to be read aloud. But if your name is in the first book, when the pages is turned to the pages of your life, all the bad deeds, all the wrong stuff is going to be blotted out with red by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the only thing that's left in the book of deeds is the good that you've done. And you won't be condemned. You won't be judged. you just be ushered to your throne. And, and then, after that, There's that third book, the book of sorrows. Psalm 56, verse 8 says that God keeps track of all of our tears in a bottle. And he writes down all of our sorrows in his book. That book's going to be opened up for believers. And God is going to read about every injustice that's ever happened to you, every wrong that's been ever committed, any tear you cried, any suffering you experienced. And he's going to make it right. He's going to make it right. He's going to say, you go sit over there. That's your throne. Oh, don't forget your crown. You're going to reign with me forever and ever. What are the books going to say about you? What are they going to say about you? If Jesus is not your king, 
if the wrongs that you have done in your life continue to be a burden and a source of shame and guilt, if the good that you're doing in your life is trying to make up for those bad things, trying to prove to everyone that you're not such a bad person, I beg you today, turn from that kind of life and trust in Jesus, the soon coming King. Trust in Him. Come under Him as your King and you will join the conquerors. You'll reserve your throne. You'll get your crown. That is the best God's strong preparation you can make today before we see the king face to face. Now let's have our worship team come back up. The other joining that I'm thinking about here is... uh, Joining the chorus of the conquerors. You know, we, we, really hard to imagine what the day is going to be like when Jesus comes back and his kingdom is ushered in. But I would say the chances are better than they are not that we will be part of the greatest praise choir ever assembled. And so I thought it'd be good before we dismiss to stand together and sing like people who are filled with faith, hope, and love. Their soon coming king is coming. Let's stand. And if you're here and you can honestly see that, you know, Jesus is not my king, you can, by faith, during this song, just tell him, I believe in you. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the grave, and that gives me hope for a future with you. You just tell him, I believe in you, from your heart, while we sing, and you'll be in. Don't wait another day, because he's coming soon. Let's pray. Now, Heavenly Father, we um, thank you for this chapter of Daniel and uh, the, the truth that it speaks to our hearts about Jesus coming, about your kingdom reigning forever and ever, about the battle that we'll face ahead and understanding what that looks like. And we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would help us this week just, you know, bend our lifestyle more toward that that will be God strong and help us get ready for what the enemy is going to throw at us. I pray for those that are feeling the burden of sin today, Lord, that you would shower them with your grace, that they can trust in Christ today and have that burden lifted and become a new person. And so we thank you that today is the day of salvation. We thank you that you have um, called us to faith and that that, uh, we are getting ready to go out and serve you. Um, You are good and your grace is abundant. Pour it out on your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.